Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. We're randomly selecting listener reviews to read on the show, and if we choose yours, you'll get free single checks merch in the mail. This week, we're sharing a recent review from KKR5 fan. KKR5 fan writes, Content is solid with good reviews and writing advice that are data as well as experience-based. Just purchased an Orbea Rayon based off podcast discussion and single checks reviews. Well, KKR5 fan, we hope you're enjoying that bike. If you could send us an email at info at singletracks.com, we'll get your shipping information and your goodies out. Be sure to add your review of the Single Tracks podcast wherever you listen to our show. Thanks and happy trails. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Enrico Guala. He's the founder of Italy's Super Enduro Series and an Enduro World Series board member. He also owns a bicycle distribution company based in Italy. Thanks for joining us, Enrico. Yeah, nice, uh, nice to be with you, Jeff. Been been listening to your podcast for quite some time, and yeah, good to be here. Yeah, great. Thank you. So you've been mountain biking for a long time and even spent several years as a trials rider. What got you interested in the sport and bicycles in general? Well, uh, you know, actually I, I've been I've been doing trials before discovering and, and founding, you know, mountain bikes. And ah. it basically it basically was um an accident that, you know, drove my life bad accident i was hit by a car when i was four years old and when i yeah and when it was a pretty serious accident you know i crossed the road where i shouldn't Mm -hmm. and kind of escaping from my parents and you know i was i was in 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 a pretty bad shape that time and you know my parents kind of uh you know got very very impressed and 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 when it was time, when I turned 14 uh, years old, and that's usually the age when you can start driving a motorcycle, you know, a 50cc motorcycle in Italy. And we were living in a, in a small village uh, on the hills just above uh, Genova. I asked for a motorcycle. It was my time. And I said, ah, you know, we're, we're not really sure if we want you again, you know, in danger. Yeah. And so I said, wow, but, you know, I... I want, I wanted something. It was my, you know, I was kind of finishing, uh, school and, you know, for summertime, usually parents buy either a motorcycle or an ape, but it's another story. <laughs> or, you know, I wanted a bicycle and, you know, there were these, um, Montezita bicycle made by Pedro P, the mm-hmm. father of uh, Ot P. He was a frame builder at Montesa and just, you know, was doing these trial bikes. And I was very, you know, interested in trial bikes because in the village there were uh, motorcycle trial riders. Mm-hmm. So I said to my parents, well, why don't you get me um, a trial bike? And so they did. And um, I started to, you know, living in the countryside, like hit any little wall, rocks, yeah. uh, logs, everything, <laughs> and trying, trying, you know, to, to go over the obstacles, uh, uh, you know, with, with this bike uh, with the wrong technique in the beginning. And then I... I moved to, 
some races and went to see some races and said, oh, wow, the technique is completely different. You know, those guys are like actually hopping their bikes. You know, they're not using the speed mm-hmm. to go over the obstacles. So I started to be involved in, in trial racing and, you know, to make a long story short, started to race in, uh, I think it was 84, mm-hmm. 1984. And basically did Italian series and uh been you know quite quite good in in that sport yeah and the local shop where i used to buy my spare parts in genova a couple of years later i was there just to buy stuff or do some maintenance uh, on on my bike mm-hmm. and i saw those um those big wheel off-road bikes yeah. i was like hey what's that <laughs> you know it's like and and this guy the owner of the shop was really into bmx at the moment mm-hmm. uh, at that time and he said well you know it's like uh, it's like a bmx with way bigger wheels and gears and you can just climb up the mountain you know easily and, and then go down and it got me it got me a mountain bike it was a gt backwards 18 oh, cool. speed pull moves a bunch of other super high level components. Yeah. And uh I decided it was my thing. Like <laughs> I bought it, uh actually my parents did, <laughs> and I started to ride my mountain bike on top of my trial. Oh wow. Yeah, on your courses. Yeah, well I, you know it was it was a different thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't give up or, or quit trials. Actually I did my best season trials in eighty nine. And then um, I started to to mountain bike, you know, as a, mainly as a discovery thing. Because my trial bike, I was able to do, you know, good stuff, uh-huh. jump over stuff and, you know, yeah. into the section and then, you know, train for the sport and having good results. But what mountain bike was representing to me at the time, it was a long ride. I could actually reach way, way, way farther than with my trial bike. Yeah. Sort of like the motorcycle that you wanted. Exactly. Well, you know, instead of putting fuel, I had to eat a lot of pasta to go <laughs> far, but but it was good. Yeah. It's interesting, too, that your parents, I guess, thought it was okay to get you a trials bike and later a mountain bike. They didn't see that as being too dangerous. I mean, do you think there is sort of a different level of risk between motorcycles and, and mountain biking, say? I think that the main thing for them, and which is something that I I actually understand, and I think I, uh, I think the same now, it's that when you're when you drive your motorcycle on the road on open traffic, you are responsible for what you do, but there's a lot of uh, elements right. of the environment that you can't control, like you know. I don't want to talk about, you know, people using their phones in the cars, which is <laughs> right. something that I see every day, you know, yeah. and I can be super careful, you know, on a cross or uh, when I want to ride my bike on the road, but someone can hit me just because, mm-hmm. you know, I can't control it. So I think that was their main concern at the time. Yeah. Trees and rocks, I guess they tend to stay where they are and they don't, they don't make unpredictable moves. Well, sometimes uh, trees cross the trail uh, suddenly. Uh, something. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you don't expect it, it happened a couple of times, you know. But yeah, but it, it's uh, it's uh, for sure it's um, sort of a safer environment where you, where you can actually you know decide the you know level of danger you're you're living. Yeah. You know the speed, and and you know when something is starting to go wrong, or you know when you're right above your limit. I think you you went through that uh, for sure. Right. Like old mountain biker did, you know, it's, it's happening. So. 
Yeah, that's that's great. So how did you start your race series, the Super Enduro? Ooh, that was uh that was kind of an evolution of my of my job because you know after the trial and being involved in mountain biking i i started to you know my job as a as a mechanic in mm-hmm. a bike shop and yeah. then as a sales guy and then as an agent and then i started to work with companies and um, while uh, selling products for a small italian manufacturer called stm but i think i can tell you the story a bit later maybe I met a guy in uh, Alba, he had a bike shop, uh, Franco Monchiero, and um, he was already racing mountain bike at the time. And so that that's the first time I met him. And, you know, we kind of like each other and, you know, uh, get along, along very well together. And then we found ourselves working together again a few years later in Finale, in a distribution company we used to work with. And so you know, knowing each other more and more, we started to work on, on a project. Actually, I was uh, already organizing DH events, down events mm-hmm. with my bike shop. Yeah. I thought it was a very good way to, you know, push people uh, above their limits uh, so they could change bikes and stuff on their bikes. But I was also very, very attracted and, and, and driven by gravity and speed and, and you know, this part of the, the sport, the gravity side of mountain biking. So few years uh, after, um, you know, we started working together, I opened my distribution company for Wimp, and that was 2006. And he was working at the time for Commensal. So we both quit the distribution company in Finale and, you know, went on separate projects. And um, 2004, 2005, it was the beginning of the... Uh, mega avalanche and the, uh, you know, the avalanche series, uh, downhill must start downhill events mm-hmm. and brands like Commensal, basically the development of their bikes, their newest bike, like the Meta, there was a Meta six, I think, or five at the moment, uh, at the time based on this type of racing and, uh, Frank was selling Commensal and I was starting to sell Ibis and Ibis just presented year before the the module which was a 140 mil all mountain bike you know full carbon that people really at the moment they at, at least in italy no one understood what the bike was for yeah you have to know jeff that italy is um is a race driven country we race everything <laughs> you know we have ferrari yeah. we have ducati we race on the highway we race girls we race everything and it's in our blood. It's in the DNA of, of this country. And so if, if I need to look for a sport tool or an equipment, I want to know what's this for in a racing environment. Yeah. Like I'm going to buy my ski, uh, you know, my new ski because there's someone racing those skis <laughs> in the workup level, you know, and yeah. Uh, when Alberto Tomba used to win workup, he, he was on yellow Rossignol and everybody had yellow Rossignol. Ski. <laughs> So at the time, you know, the, the only disciplines that we had in, in Italy on mountain bike were cross country and we had perfect bike for cross country and downhill and mm-hmm. there were downhill bikes. But yeah. those bikes were like, you know, transgender, if you know my meaning, like, you know, in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So what, what do you do with these bikes? 
Right. Well, a lot of people were wondering that too. I mean, it wasn't just Italy where there was only XC and downhill. I mean, it was, you know, around this time, there wasn't really anything else there in terms of competition, right? Exactly. Exactly. So you have to know that in, in, in Europe, France is always leading the trend, especially uh, when you talk about, you know, action sport or, you know, innovation in, into sport and outdoor. Yeah. And in France... Fred Glow started uh, already few years before the Enduro Series events and we were like, wow, that's... And, and of course, you know, the Mega Avalanche, the, the founder um, of the Mega Avalanche, which I forgot his name for a second, but it's going to come up. <laughs> you know, they were, they were developing these gravity-fed events, but you, where you still had to pedal, either you had to pedal up to the top or take a lift and do these super long downhill stages. Mm-hmm. And Fred launched the, the Enduro with the Tribe uh, 10,000 right. in Val d'Alos. Can you imagine a race where you go for two days up on a lift and you do 10,000 vertical meters drop in two days? Wow. Like your hands on Sunday night don't want to even hold a fork right. anymore. <laughs> So those bikes were made, and in fact, the Comensal was perfectly in time, you know, with the development of the sport. Mm-hmm. But it was nothing like that in Italy. So Franco came to me and said, Enrico, we need to do something. We need to launch Enduro in Italy. And I was like, come on, Franco, I'm too busy. I did my done events, my other things. Yeah. Short, long story, uh, or he convinced me. Yeah. And... Um, we did two test events in 2007, Priero and Cartosio, just to test the format. Mm-hmm. And the main thing was basically to be able to find a format, and that was Franco idea, that was uh, suitable to Italy, mm-hmm. where we don't have that many lift access mountains and terrain as in France. Okay. So the rally format came up. Basically, the... The format that we know mm-hmm. nowadays and that has been, you know, sort of a foundation of Enduro right. as we know it today. Because if you want to, and that was always our goal, if you want to organize an Enduro race everywhere where you don't have a lift, you need a format. And that's, that's how we started. Yeah, that's interesting because here in the U.S., I feel like our idea of Enduro is more that Italian idea where... You know, it, it. there are no lifts. And to us, it seems weird when an enduro race has some liaison stages that, you know, give you lift access. So, yeah, it's really interesting how kind of the sport evolved to fit into those other locations. Exactly. And, and at the end of the day, it was exactly the type of riding that we've, we've always been doing. Mm-hmm. Like you go out for, for a ride with your buddies and you go up on a mountain, down in a valley, up on the other side and down. You go up and down the whole day and, you know, and you have fun and you, you challenge your friends on the way down usually. Mm-hmm. That's at least the type of riding we like to do at the time. Yeah, that's very cool. So how has the Super Enduro changed over the past 10 seasons, I imagine there's been some tweaks to the format and you mentioned a little bit uh, earlier, but sort of how has it evolved over the years? I think more than, than, than in the format, we evolved uh, based on the evolution of, of the technology we have mm. 
today from the industry. Bikes are way more capable than what they used to be. I mean, a few, few weeks ago, I think uh, AWS posted um, a gallery of pictures of the very first AWS in Punta Ala 2013. And when you look at the bikes, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> it, you know, it, it, it seems like 20 years ago. Yeah. So I think, I think mainly the evolution on, has been on, on, on course design and what the speed of the bikes and the riders you know, evolved over, over the years. As far as formats, uh, we still like to throw in the mix some alpine events whenever we can. And that means lift access. So you can have a super enduro race, uh, let's say in, um, you know, in Punta Ala, where you have to pedal up the hills and, and go down. And, you know, we can limit or we have to limit to 1500. 1800 meters climb on the race mm -hmm. but if we go to La Tuile or Abetona where we have lift we can do maybe 500 1000 meter climb and maybe 3000 down oh yeah so you know we try to adapt the format that is flexible to the location and basically to tell the story and to express the type of riding that that venue that destination is known for yeah, it's interesting too how you frame like sort of the beginning of enduro as coming from the bikes. You know, there's these bikes and what do we do with them? How can we race them? But there were others working at the same time with enduro, you know, and, and it was being driven by the sorts of trails that people ride or the athletes and things. And I think that just speaks to the power of enduro, the staying power of it, that it's being driven from all these different angles and it continues to evolve and Everybody has kind of a different perspective, but it's become this this thing that really drives a lot of the innovation and change that we're seeing in our sport. I think so, and I think it's it's really great uh, to be open minded and you know always look at new ideas uh, or you know new formats or mm -hmm. just a new approach from organizers, from venues, from riders, and be open to accept and and evolve with the ideas that are coming together from, from different perspectives. Yeah. Well, speaking of being open to new ideas, you know, the Enduro World Series, uh, of which you're a board member, recently announced that there's going to be new e-bike categories for 2020. Are you thinking about doing the same for the Super Enduro Series in Italy? Uh, boom, that's, uh, this, is gonna, <laughs> this, this is gonna be a pretty big, uh, big topic. Well, actually we open already to e-bikes okay. at the Super Enduro as, uh, let's say as a category, as race in the race. So they were riding the same trails in the same field, just they were scored separately. Exactly. Okay. And honestly, Jeff, I don't think it's like the perfect set up the one we have at the super enduro mm -hmm. because i really feel i've been i've been e-mountain biking for now six years already okay wow pretend to have some uh, sort of uh, experience at least as a rider and i find e-bikes completely it's a different sport than mountain biking hmm. uh, don't get me wrong like you know we use mainly the same components and you know we can ride the same trades but the kind of experience you have on an e-bike it's a different thing. So I feel events and races should reflect 
that that part mm-hmm. th- these new possibilities at the super enduro though we decided uh, to be inclusive you know uh, franco uh, in, in f- 16 he decided to stop with the super enduro and he started the e-enduro huh. the e-enduro series in in italy yeah you know developing a, a format specific for for e-bikes which i think it's great but what we wanted to do and we wanted to achieve at the super enduro and because there's a lot of people that want to stay together and, and enjoy uh, these events that are traveling around or bringing people around our beautiful country as a, as a discovery of the unique taste mm-hmm. of Italy that is very different from region to region, from even from village to village. We wanted people to stay together. So we wanted to be inclusive for e-bikes. And if you remember in the beginning you know, when e-bikes basically hit the market, people are, you know, not really friendly or, <laughs> you know, there was some, some big uh, argue on e-bikes, even, even magazines like still, still. Yeah, still in the U.S. especially, yeah. But we don't want to be in a ghetto or send e-bikes to a ghetto. Why should you attend you know a bike an e-bike specific event mm-hmm. so we decided to open the super enduro to everybody just to enjoy the event and the format knowing that in some of our stages an e-bike was suffering way more than a normal bike yeah than an acoustic bike well yeah i'm, I'm curious i mean I, we talked to chris ball about this and i'm curious to know do e-bikes have an advantage? Where did you see the people who were on an e-bike posting faster times than those without? In some stages, yes. Top athletes that ride e-bike, I think for sure at like the actual technology, e-bikes are not too far back over normal bikes. Hmm. I think there there's even some advantages in weight distribution of the e-bikes, you know, center of gravity Uh over normal bikes. And we saw that in one event where the fastest time in few stages were on on an e-bike by a pretty fast guy. Yeah. And to be clear, when we talk about the times on stages, these are, these are descending stages. This is going downhill, not climbing, not really taking advantage of the main advantage of an e-bike, which is pedal assist. No, 100% descending, or even with flat parts where you can push an e-bike mm. to 25k per hour, right. but not really go a lot faster above that. Whereas with a normal bike, you can easily push to 35 or 40 pedaling. Right. So we were, we were honestly, Jack, we were a bit, uh, not afraid, but, you know, shocked by... <laughs> By, by this information and, and data. Yes, we were. Yeah, interesting. So what are, what are some of the challenges of promoting such a prestigious race series uh, that, I mean, I imagine it takes up a lot of your time and it's, it's a big production, right? It is. It is. And, uh, well, thanks for the, for the prestigious. Uh, <laughs> I take it as a, as, a big, as a big compliment. Yeah, absolutely. It's not enduro. It's super enduro. It is, it is. And, you know, that, that have always been since the beginning, our, our main goal. And, you know, because in the beginning we wanted to position Enduro as, um, as something 
that people have to notice mm-hmm. and, and understand. Uh, we tried to partner since the beginning with, you know, big sponsor. We had Volkswagen, uh, you know, the, the, the vehicle uh, company, the, the German brand supporting in the beginning. And that helped us a lot to position the Super Enduro as sort of the reference. Then over the years, and, and for, for a few years, we tend to control all the events. We didn't want any other organizer to start Enduro until they knew exactly how to do it right. Mm-hmm. Because as a, as a consumer well, and, and as organizers, we didn't want anybody to get in touch or touch base with a with an Enduro race and be deceived and, you know, mm-hmm. live a bad experience. And actually, I always use this... Uh, food metaphors, cooking a, a good Enduro race. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you need good ingredients and you need a very good chef. Right. And in the beginning, the risk was too high that something was going wrong for new improvised organizers. So we tend for several years to control the whole market and train organizers and explain and talk to them and, you know, take them by hand into the organization until there were enough very good organization around the country. And, you know, we sort of released, you know, other organizers and, and let people uh, do more, uh, more events. Mm-hmm. And that created a, a very big um, movement, I would say, in, in Italy with more than 10, I think it's this year, uh, regional series. Oh, wow. So we have the Toscana Enduro Series or the Sardinia Enduro Series or the Lombardia or the Triveneto. Like all the region, they have their own regional series mm-hmm. so that we can focus on the on the national uh, series. And that creates the the base of, you know, the grassroots events, create the base for, you know, new riders for the discipline. Yeah. So 10 years ago, when you were first starting out with the series, was it difficult to get people to sign up for the race? I mean, did they understand what Enduro was and why it, it was going to be fun? We partnered with uh, a media, a magazine. It was a Tutto mountain bike at the time. And, you know, they helped us a lot to explain to their audience what was Enduro. And um, we invested a lot since the beginning. And I think that that has been, you know, the one of our strengths in the beginning, investing a lot in communication Mm -hmm. and media, good pictures, videos, uh, you know, all this content that actually (laughs) self-explain the discipline to people. Yeah. Because, you know, it's hard to explain an Enduro race by words. It's easier with pictures and videos. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So you had your first ever race cancellation this spring. What led up to sort of making that decision and it was was it a hard decision for you one of the most difficult days ever oh, as a race organizer <laughs> even in the in the old downhill days you know i went through storms and you know lightning that you know broke the timing i mean i went through some some serious stuff but had to cancel a race because uh, uh nobody expected the snow on top and uh, Quite a lot of people were not really well equipped for that event. It was a it was a, it was a tough, very tough decision. 
probably you know the best decision we could take at the moment or at that moment. Uh, but you know, it really it suddenly reminded me uh, about the EWS in that wheel in twenty fourteen mm-hmm. when during the practice day we're going up to two thousand six. 2,600 uh, meters and it was snowing and wind up to 50k per hour and the perceived temperature was like minus 5. And a rider of the indoor warfare was going up on the lift with just a super light jacket. <laughs> and we're like, guys, this is serious mountain. Yeah. Like you need, you, you mountain bike, you need to be aware that, you know, one of the elements or actually the elements is the the nature the outdoor and you know the weather can change suddenly and you need to be prepared even if you are racing an event you always need to consider this factor and i think this year in, in pietra ligoro we live kind of the same experience and you know we had to we had to stop to to rescue people so we had all the medical team basically helping people with you know, freezing oh, wow. instead of being instead of being ready for rescue along the stages. So, you know, we had to take this this decision, but it was a tough one, yes, for sure. Yeah, but yeah, it sounds like it was the right one because safety is is obviously probably the most important thing that that you have to do as a race organizer. Absolutely. So, all four races in the 2019 series took place in Liguria and Tuscany. Do you have plans to return to the Alps for 2020? Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. I can't, I can't tell you. I, I don't know. I don't know when you know you're you're gonna publish the, the podcast. Maybe the calendar will be already out or not. But we're returning to to the Alps. Yes, we miss the Alps. Uh, even if we had um, you know a stop in in. Um, in Abetone, and Abetone is a is a ski resort in Tuscany. It's actually a, an incredible place because from you know the top of the lift, uh, uh, top of the mountain, in a in a beautiful clear day, you can see the Florence Dome. Oh wow! <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, the Giotto the Giotto Chapel. So you know it's it's in Tuscany, uh, but they do have you know some some good mountains but yes we're going back to to the alps in uh, 2020 for uh, our last event yeah does does the weather in the alps is it more unpredictable does that worry you at all uh yes and no because i mean when when i look back um, about pietra ligure last year it was april the 7th Mm-hmm. And you know the paddock and um, the village uh, basically were were you know we started the van we were on sea level, and we were going up to twelve hundred meters on sea level, and we had a snowstorm. So I, I should say yes. Usually the mountain are more un- unpredictable, but on top of that, let me add that this crazy weather and and climate is becoming more and more unpredictable. That's why. I think organizers and racers need to be more flexible with their equipment and plans. Yeah, that's interesting. And and I mean, that's a big part of Enduro is balancing that, you know, with having a lightweight bike and a lightweight kit with having everything that you need. Because like you said, it is a serious event and you're, you're in remote locations a lot of times on mountains that can be very unforgiving. We are, and and again, Jeff, that's that's mountain biking. Actually, how many times we find ourselves, you know, in the middle of 
valleys and mountains, uh, maybe on, on a two-day adventure. And you need to be ready. Mm-hmm. And, you know, an enduro race is, uh, I think, kind of reflecting the same type of experience, or at least we'd like to think it that way. And we try to design our events to be adventures on, on their own and discovery of, of the area. So, yeah. Yeah. So you own uh, your bike distribution company, Wimp. Is that right? Wimp? Yes. For Wimp. For Wimp. Yes. For Wimp. Sorry. All right. For Wimp and Super Enduro. And you're also on the board of the Enduro World Series. How do you find time to, to do all of those things? Incredible teams. I think that's, you know, that's the key to read, uh, to read what I do. Um, I have a, you know, a, a business partner in, in for Gwimp and yet a very good team that, you know, carries all the daily duty of, of a distribution company and challenges. Same at the Super Enduro. The Super Enduro is a, is a group of people. And, you know, when we're on, on event, we're like 14 people, uh, as, a, as a staff that work uh, to produce the event. And I'm still enjoying it a lot, you know, my announcing, but I also, care about several other um, factors and, and, and things during the, the Super Enduro. Mm-hmm. And, um, and on the EWS, uh, uh, just a board member. And again, EWS has an incredible team of, of people we just met like last week in, um, in Scotland for mm. sort of a yearly, you know, debrief and, and, and meeting and, and of course, uh, dinner, uh, Christmas dinner party, which is always great. And, you know, everybody has, has been working so hard to produce and, and deliver what we deliver. And, you know, all the teams are not like big. I think there's a, not a, a misunderstanding, but, you know, sometimes you think like, you know, behind EWS or, or Super Enduro, there's, there's huge amount of people. There's not. There's a lot of good committed people. So, yeah. Yeah. Teams are important, really important. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So what plans, if any, do you have to attract more women to enduro mountain bike racing in Italy and, and beyond? Let's stop talking about women as they were women. Mm-hmm. As simple as that. Like, you know, I think there's, um, it's a big topic. But, you know, as long as we, we think, oh, you know, women need to do easier things. Uh, you know, we need to care about, you know, uh, something specific for women, uh, women bike products. Uh, like there's not such a kind of thing in other sport. Of course, there is a specific needs in terms of uh, equipment uh, for, for some things, but let's start to consider women like we do for all the other matters in life and, and topics and, and work and daily, uh, you know, life. There's women way more, you know, capable and stronger and, 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 and fast than, than men. So I think we just need to stop considering, hmm. you know, women as a, as a separate category. Yeah. Let's just get together. Yeah. It sounds like your approach maybe is put on a great event that people will enjoy and that will mean men and women uh, will be interested in it. Do you think there are certain things that are keeping women from doing enduro right now? I think if there's one discipline that is um, accessible, is enduro. Of course, if we expect women to, or or beginners, or you know people with a with a low level of skills to show up at enduro world series and and race that and be comfortable, no, 
not at all. Mm. But I feel like, especially if you attend like a regional event or a local event, you know, and liaison time are pretty more relaxed uh, and, you know, the stage design is not too extreme. Women like men, like youth, like older people can get into those events and grow from there to a higher level. The other thing is mountain biking have always been uh, more of a male-driven sport. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have this sense of, oh, you know, it's extreme. You go out, uh, the mud, (laughs) the rocks. uh, Who cares? Like, you know, you go to Whistler, you go to, and I consider Canada, for example, a way more evolved country into mountain biking than many other countries in the world. And the level of riding that women have in Canada it's amazing. It's I can't keep up keep up with you know a lot of women my age or even older that are just kicking my ass. Right. <laughs> so again, let's just have fun together. Just go. And if I need to walk, I can walk. Or if you know my girlfriend need to walk, she's gonna walk. Yeah, I mean, I think you you make a good point that everybody needs various entry points into the sport. I mean, none of us would think that we can just kind of start enduro racing and be at the top of the sport i mean we need opportunities for you know easier level tracks and you know less competitive races and things like that to sort of build to that level and it sounds like with the super enduro and the ews there are more and more of these opportunities every year i think so totally so what are your thoughts on the recent doping suspensions of uh several enduro mountain bikers that's that's a tough one i think there's um again it goes back to the age of enduro and when i'm talking age uh, enduro is still a young discipline Mm -hmm. Uh, you know we've been doing uh, super enduro for now 11 years uh and it's going to be our 12th year and enduro was here is only seven years old and you know the whole scene is uh, is young so our riders, the racers, and the pure enduro racers, I think they don't have the education that cross-country riders or mm. road racers or cyclocross or even downhillers had over the years. Yeah. Like if you're a top-tier athlete in any other discipline, your federation and your team, you know, you have regular blood control and, and blood check over you know, the season over the off season and you have a, there's a kind of a protocol you need to follow and there's way more education yeah. into that disciplines than in enduro. Mm-hmm. You know the rules. I mean, you come up in the sport knowing that there are these rules and there are things you can and can't use. And, you know, if you're going to try something, you need to talk to a doctor and have them look up the rules for you and all that sort of thing, right? Exactly. And your coach, your team teaches you and and provides you all the guidelines to you know to to actually and you grow with that information. Yeah, I think I think enduro just hasn't come to that point. So, you know, we had a, a case in, in in Italy, and uh, of course, you know, the most famous uh, Ricci and, and and Martin, and I think all of them are all they all share the same uh, the same uh, path. Or, you know, the same problem of not knowing exactly what to do. And I think the key is education. And I was having, um, you know, before those cases, I was having a, a chat along a liaison during a practice day on uh, one of our races with a 
some writers uh, coming from cross country and you know were debating the fact that even among writers there's not a lot of talk there was not a lot of talk about how to manage you know the the potential substances that you take for anything mm-hmm. you know you have a flu and you take uh, one of the medicine that i always take uh, as as a normal person you know to cure my flu but if i if i'm going under a, a the antidoping control i probably result positive to that element which is something i take you know over in winter at least i get a flu every year <laughs> yeah you know so i think it's it's just a matter of education uh, jeff i don't i don't think there's any honestly i don't think there's any you know bad um, yeah bad intentions yeah i mean yeah bad intention behind it yeah i think that's a really good point too about how the sport is so young and you know this this provided unfortunately at at the to the detriment of these athletes but it provided education for everybody else now everybody else in the sport knows that you need to be careful and you need to understand the things that you can and can't do or else you'll end up like these guys it was almost as if they're made an, an example to kind of you know set those expectations for everybody else going forward absolutely and you know to that regard i i, I don't know if you if you talk about that with uh, with Chris or, or Darren or, or someone else, but, you know, as EWS, we organize a sort of public conference. We Actually, it was a, it was a writer conference in Kanazai mm-hmm. with, um, with UCI and, and, you know, with uh, the, the guy responsible for uh, the doping protocol at UCI. And basically the, the goal of, of, the, of that night was education, it was just explaining to the writers what are the rules, what are the protocols, what you need to take care of, and, you know, what you need to pay attention to. And I think it was a, is a, was a very good step. And, you know, we don't pretend to educate people, but I think as a, as a group of people working together with the same goal, organizers, industry, writers, um, media, we all need to be aware that education is always key for a common goal. And, so yeah, it was it was very interesting. I've learned, like personally, I've learned a lot that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we all did. Yeah. So, do you feel like enduro courses are difficult enough for top level athletes, or are they going to continue to grow steeper and more technical as equipment improves and also as the athletes improve? I think it's a it's an evolution that we're going to see uh, in the future. I don't I don't like to see. Enduro going too extreme or, you know, being too far from the roots of the sport. I think an Enduro race, it still need to, to be rideable by a good level rider, not racer, but rider as a trail of his Sunday ride. Yeah. And of course it changes and it varies from place to place, terrain to terrain. What what we saw this year at EWS level, but even at the Super Enduro on a, let's say on a, on a different scale, we saw some bold moves from riders. And that means that, you know, the, the level of skills and fitness and riding of those guys is improving. So it's good to challenge them, you know, but then you know, it, it happened to me like at some point, I was like, okay, we, we're going to go, you know, down this trail and, you know, we're going to tape here, here and there. And then a rider 
made a line that was like, what? <laughs> it was possible, you know? And so I think that to answer your question, yes, there will be still an evolution, but I don't like to, you know, send a message that something is too extreme for a normal rider to be able to ride it with different speed. Of course, a, a racer goes over obstacles and trails way more faster than what I can do, maybe what you can do, but it's fine. As long as, as we can ride the same trail, I think I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, would you say, it seems like if, when you're designing a course that you might want to say, make it more difficult if all the times were, say, really close to each other, right? Like everybody is essentially taking the same lines and it's just kind of down to seconds between first and second. So are you seeing that in Enduro? Are the times at the top of the pack getting closer together or is there still a pretty good spread between, you know, first, second and third? We had this year... Uh, we had, I think, two races at the Enduro World Series and even at the Super Enduro, but Enduro World Series mainly with gaps less than half a second at the end of the race. Like, wow. yes. Which you would expect in downhill, but Enduro, that, that seems unusual. It seems unusual, but that, to me, that means that, you know, riders are really pushing hard. And uh, I don't think you know, the riders are, are kind of choosing the same line. I think down a stage, down an enduro stage, you know, Sam Hill versus uh, Florian Nicolai, the big battle of the year. Uh, I think they're all picking up different lines and they're strong, like one rider is strong maybe in one passage or one part of the trade and the other is stronger on another one. What makes... And they were super interesting because, you know, sometimes you, you look at the, at, the, at the stages and you're like, oh, he's going to lose the stage. And then he wins with yeah. two seconds. And I'm like, wow, why, where? So because of the diversity of trades that are, you know, we mix together in an event, in a, in a, in a race, there's never a big advantage for one guy or the other. But at the end of the day, they come so close together because they try to excel in every little part of the of the stage, so um, we didn't expect that, but it makes things super crazy interesting, uh, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very exciting. Well, Enrico, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and for everything that you're doing to sort of push this new form of mountain biking and to make it even more exciting and better for everybody. Well, thanks uh, for having me and a uh, good chance to, you know, talk a little bit about, about my story. And uh, hopefully we're going to ride together somewhere. Yes. Sometime. Absolutely. Great. Well, you can find out more about Super Enduro at superendurommtb.com. And be sure to check single tracks for more information about Enduro racing and some of the backstory about how the Enduro World Series got started. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>